0: Hello everyone and welcome to Wealth Chat presented by CGI. My name is Labna Bibi, I lead research for our Global Wealth and Capital Markets practice and I am your host. For this episode, I had a chat with Nidhi Laroya. Nidhi is a director for consulting services within Global Wealth. We spoke about human-centric design or HCD, the value HCD provides, how firms and advisors can incorporate HCD into their business, and how human-centric design can accelerate innovation. Welcome, Nitty. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Lovna. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I've been really excited to have this chat with you. Uh, Human-centric design um, is somewhat of a new concept to me. Before meeting you and learning about what it was, I would say that I had an idea uh, of the concept, but I just didn't know the the term for it or what you would call it or if there was a greater, you know, kind of concept or name for it. So very excited to learn about this concept. But uh, before we get started, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself so everyone can get to know you a bit better.
1: Wonderful. Well, thanks. And I'm excited to be here today. I think like you, so many others have heard of human-centric design, design thinking. It's such a wide topic and, you know, they, they want to get to understand it better, but more importantly, they want to understand how they can apply it. So very excited to be here today. Uh, a little bit about me is I've uh, been at CGI for close to four years now. I'm a director and lead the capabilities of strategy and change. Uh, and my huge focus has really been in corporate innovation, digital transformation, and human-centric design, design thinking and innovation. So um, before my management consulting career, I actually grew up in banking. <laughs> so had about 10 years um, at a large Canadian bank, and I did multiple roles there, starting actually in wealth management and uh, moving towards more digital strategy. Um, the last role I had at banks was in innovation labs. So I was responsible for taking an idea, to move it to a proof of concept, all the way to commercialization. And that was, I think, my first big stint in terms of corporate or enterprise innovation. Um, Really understanding that it did not take one team, but it took multiple stakeholders, uh, strategic partnerships from academia and startups and large enterprise. And of course, the most important is the customers, getting customers involved in innovation. Um, And in between, I'd say my banking career and my management consulting career, I actually had the opportunity to... Do some abroad travel, and I lived in uh, San Francisco for a bit, where I geeked out on human centric design <laughs> quite a bit. I did a graduate studies in it uh, with an MBA, and focused on design thinking and disruptive business models. And in between this stint um, living in, I'd say SF, I totally drank the Kool Aid and became an entrepreneur myself, um, and got to really live, uh, you know, in an incubator where it was focused with I taking idea all the way to market. So I'd say for the last eight years or so, I've really been focusing on supporting large companies, um, trying to innovate and trying to move the needle, but doing so in a way that they're very focused on empathy and a human perspective. Um, You know, you could do this within internal operations of organizations, and you can also do this when you're in customer facing roles. There's just so many facets um, uh, that we have to consider when you try to push the needle in innovation in human-centric design, but uh, with large corporations, it's difficult with red tape, bureaucracy, silos. So I've been really fascinated about this intersection and challenge to say how might large organizations be as innovative or as close to the customers as a startup would in a garage. So that's kind of been my mission for the last little bit, and I'm here at CGI to, to grow uh, you know, these uh, offerings and capabilities in the space.
0: It sounds like you've led a very interesting life like, uh, and a lot of experience, given the current climate uh, and what, you know, we've just gone through and are still going through. I have to ask, you know, what was the most interesting thing that you did during the pandemic?
1: You know what? I think I've had my most innovative adventure thus far, and I'm actually expecting as a first time mother. <laughs> oh, congratulations. Thank you. Honestly, talk about growth and transformation, right? Like, in always growth, <laughs> but um, yeah. expecting my first in just a few weeks. So, definitely, you know, I think COVID. And this pandemic has given us all an opportunity to really reassess the new pace of life and just kind of figure out what's important. Being in management consulting, I was traveling so often, such a fast-paced life. And then, you know, this has given me an opportunity to slow down with my husband and just think about what's important. So we're really excited about this next chapter uh, and very excited to continue to, to you know, innovate and see how human-centric design and empathy can really work with a newborn. <laughs> and see how that, <laughs> that goes. That
0: sounds amazing. Um, and we look forward forward to hearing the result of that trial that you're going to go through. Yes (laughs) lots of iteration I can only imagine. (laughs) Keep you posted lovely. Absolutely Um, so you know what I think that's a great starting point why don't we start off with what is human-centric design because I'm sure that there's many people out there who've either heard the term or who are familiar with some of the ideas that are involved in human-centric design but they don't realize uh, that oh that idea actually comes from you know, HCD or human centric design. So let's start off with an explanation.
1: For sure. And I think human centric design and design thinking go so hand in hand. They're interchangeable. Um, Human centric design is part of design thinking, but I'm going to focus on HCD, human centric design today. And it's really a process around understanding, getting a very strong, deep empathy of the person you're serving or the individual that you want to enhance an experience for. Once you understand and you empathize really in a deep way as to those individuals' perspectives, their challenges, their goals, their fears, you're then able to define the challenges you want to solve. And it's not solving all the challenges. It's really prioritizing on a compelling major challenge that you're going to be devoted to solve. And then you have to design. You know, it's really interesting. You think design thinking is only for designers, but you're seeing this in human-centered design being applied in so many different capacities. Just heard about a dentist who's applying design thinking (laughs) because what they're trying to do is they're trying to design experiences that are optimal for this particular user. And then after that, it's all about evaluating because it's never a straightforward line. It is definitely something that has to continuously, as I said, being iterated upon. You have to be listening, you have to be learning, and you have to be, you know, constantly enhancing the experience that you are uh, providing. And with a time like this, you know, I think that all of us, whether we're employers of large organizations and employees thinking about bringing people back to work in new hybrid models, whether we're advisors and we're really trying to create a competitive edge and you know, serve our customers in new ways. I think human-centered design of just understanding and empathizing, prioritizing, and defining key challenges, designing compelling experiences, and constantly evaluating and enhancing those experiences is something that's such a strong fit. So that's, I'd say, how I would define human-centric design. Um, it's really just to put yourself in a designer seat and give yourself the ability to really put yourself in a perspective of the customer or user that you're serving.
0: I guess my question would be: Once we get an understanding of what it is, is what's the value of it? Like, why is it important? Why should why should I care about designing something perfectly to you know align with a certain architecture or to help me solve issues? Like, what value does it bring, and how is it going to help me?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because I think that in any article you're reading right now, you know the rise of empathy. Um, is just so prevalent. Uh, It's actually one of the top skills of resilience for 2021 and 2022 um, as established by LinkedIn in any profession. (laughs) It's just having empathy. Um, I think that we've all gone through so much in our personal lives, as well as we're facing such complexity and ambiguity in professional lives. Um, The idea of truly understanding someone in order to create an innovative new solution uh, will not only serve you as a professional, but it will give you an edge from a competition perspective. Um, You know, otherwise everything you can, you know, when something sounds canned, you know, when something sounds scripted, you know, when you've heard it all before, if there's an advisor out there that's trying to create a, Differentiator for themselves, why not do it through empathy? why not through it to human centric design versus you know a playbook that who knows how many other companies or advisors are using it it really gives that competitive edge um, human centric design design thinking started with architects actually for urban planning and building cities, but uh, through you know ideO and other large design firms it's very quickly realized that it's its home in the corporate world is so significant and it's really to grow deeper relationships with the customers, uh, longer relationships and and very honestly grow the bottom line, right? It is a differentiator effect. You're not chasing a trend, you're not chasing technology, you're chase you're really just trying to define a human behavior and solve a compelling problem that's hard. That doesn't that's that's not a flavor of the month. If you could do that, you know, I think you really are able to uh, create a long-lasting relationship with your customers and that will serve well in all cases.
0: I completely agree with you. So I guess, how do we transition this to the wealth management industry? Obviously, there's many problems that exist there. Um, A lot of them are trying, you know, are on their digital journey and trying to improve their offerings and their services. Uh, Reasons There's been this trend towards digitizing, right, and having more hybrid experiences, uh, being able to scale. How do you how do you retain empathy in those types of cases? Like, how do you ensure that you're able to meet the demands of clients that you're able to service all these clients in a very efficient manner um, while also being able to empathize with them and have, you know, a so-called human connection almost?
1: And it's very interesting. It's I, I do this in so many of my sessions with clients as well. Like, we there's investments that have been, Um, you know, put out there to help with digitization, to help with operations. Uh, And, you know, we kind of lose track sometimes because we're so focused on this implementation roadmap. If you actually stop and ask, okay, all right, this is great. We know we have to do this. But who is it that we're serving? Like who benefits from this really? And what problem are we solving for those individuals? It's oftentimes really hard to answer that question. So I think it's very important that when we're on our digitization track, we're using technology we have to identify and prioritize who is it that we're serving, who will benefit from this technology the most. And that's OK if it's internal um, and we're looking at it from a firm perspective and we need to increase our compliance targets or we need to really make sure from a regulatory perspective we are we're meeting our needs. Uh, but from a customer perspective, I think getting advisors, getting the voice of the customer involved early on, even before you make those investment uh, t- technology is really important um, so you're actually able to identify not that we just have this technology to help us modernize but we're trying to serve this need or actually try to reduce this friction for a particular set of clients and because of that we're investing in technology so I, I think it's before designing and designers would think about being tabbed on or bolt on at the end for an, an aesthetic perspective and it really needs to change we need to identify when we're actually doing our strategic work when we're looking at our budgets for next year when or thinking about where to invest, have the advisors, have the voice of, if even better, have some customers involved in that conversation and identify the friction you want to solve in order to increase customer retention and acquisition um, versus having design and, and that kind of bolted on at the end. So I think that it's a very strategic play, um, which is a little different. And we're seeing a lot more organizations get into that. That's more on the firm side of things. And how would an advisor, I'd say, apply this human-centric design approach isn't all the conversations that they're having, like it's such a fit, it's such a shoe-in when I hear it. It's, there's such a high level of discovery already going on when advisors are connecting with their customers. Is it the staple set of questions that we have to ask? Okay, great, but how are you going beyond that? How are you really getting deeper? How are you yourself putting yourself in that customer's shoes and thinking about it in a different way? Because only when you do that, can you think of new solutions, right? Um, and so when you are trying to de- define the challenge, in new ways and create new, designing new experiences. um, You know, I think that can only really come with that human-centric approach. And it's not just setting the plan and that's it. It is the idea of evaluating. It is the idea of kind of testing and seeing three months from now, what we set out, is it, are we going that way or do we need to iterate? Do we need to, you know, um, shift uh, our focus a little bit? And I think that uh, it's a very authentic approach and customers feel that. So I see it from a firm perspective when they're trying to really increase the uh, digitization and digital transformation to get, you know, a human lens on it very quickly. And then I also see it from an advisor perspective when you're just trying to create um, more meaningful relationships and long lasting relationships with customers.
0: I I completely agree with you. And you said a lot of really good things uh, in there and I want to unpack a few of them um, and perhaps elaborate a bit more. So it seems like we have two sides, Steve, the firm and the advisor, So let's start with the advisor first. Like, obviously, advisors want to do the best for their clients and for their team as well, right? They want to ensure that uh, their team's happy, that they're having good experiences, and in turn, they're servicing their clients in the best way that they can. And clients are getting, um, you know, the optimal service. They're getting everything they need. All their demands are being met. So how can advisors implement HCD? Like, what are some of the steps that they can take to have this in in their practice? And then you brought up the measurement um, point as well. And I think that that's key because we've learned, you know, especially I think with the pandemic, as people have become a bit more involved in their lives because we had so much time on our hands, one of the things that people have been focusing on is measuring success, right? Okay, I'm doing this. Now, how do I measure it to make sure that I'm improving? Like working out is a great example. For instance, you know, um, you can have a person who's like, oh, I would take five um, flights of stairs and I would be winded out. And then I started working out and two weeks later, I can now do seven flights of stairs um, and I'm still not breathless. I'm good to go. Right. And that's how they're measuring their success. So how would an advisor measure their success when they're deploying an HCD uh, type of concept in their practice?
1: So I think, you know, those are are two those are really great questions. You know, the first I heard is how could wealth management advisors or how could advisors really um, implement HTD to begin with, right? Because we don't really think of, you know, advisors as designers, (laughs) but we are designing experiences, right? That's exactly what we're doing. And, you know, um, you know, when we talk about empathizing or understanding a customer, I would ask every advisor when they're having their conversation, how much have you convert How much has your uh, conversations diverged? How wide have you really gotten? You know it, it could seem so um, you know static and kind of routine like because you have a few questions to ask. But are you allowing yourself to diverge in your conversation? I know there's time frames, I know we have such busy things to do, um, but you know, it, that that's very important. And it's not like you just diverge and that's it, you have to converge as well with your right solutions and things, but it, it is, if I would just ask if things just seem very linear in your process um, and it's just, you know, check boxes that you're doing, um, I don't necessarily know how deep you're getting with your customer. So that's the first tip I'd apply It's like, you know, when you're going through your discovery, how much are you diverging? How much new information are you actually finding out about your customer? Um, And then when you define a challenge, and now that you know, and you get set on this newfound info, are you solving the compelling challenge? You know, a lot of times we try to, and the issue here is sometimes we try to solve it all. We're trying to solve six challenges. So you can't, right? Now that you know from your customer, how do you um prioritize the most compelling challenge? Actually, it's often the most difficult one. And that's gonna set you apart from your competition, right? Because if it's easy if we're just solving easy challenges, anyone can do that. Um so that's I think a couple of tips that I would say. Are you allowing yourself to diverge, converge, diverge, converge in the conversations and the experience with your customer? And in a way that's still making them feel, you know, very sound and of course, you know, giving them stable advice. Um and then are you defining the right challenge? So I think that's really, really important in terms of how we apply design thinking. And how you measure it is going to change as well. Um, I would even just do a little bit of, um, you know, if you if you do commit to uh, applying this approach, not only looking from one customer at a time, but looking at it from your base. Hopefully, you know, we talk about things that use technology like next best action. You know, how do I plan my day properly? If you are offering those innovative solutions and you're measuring your client's portfolios and evaluating them, what is the value you're seeing from a customer perspective? How has the relationship evolved or changed? I would actually even measure what newfound information and am I receiving from the customer that I had not received before. That is a really great KPI that shows active listening and discovery is there. These are like nuggets of beautiful information that we try to get from data. We try to get from CRM systems. It's just understanding our client better. So through conversations, if you're finding out new pieces of info, I'd say that would be a great metric to, to think about, to say, OK, wow, I understand and I'm getting a lot more information than I have before, which hopefully translate into you know deeper relationships with customers.
0: OK, so it sounds like uh, for advisors, they should focus on Going beyond just the more, you know, um, prescribed method that they have for uh, gathering intel from uh, prospective clients and uh, existing clients and really think about broadening the so-called horizon, right? And seeing what more information they can gather and then if there are problems there that they can solve and problems... um, you know, can be great opportunities. Uh, There might be an issue that a client is having, uh, you know, with their portfolio and that it may just happen that that portfolio is with another firm. And so, you know, and it might come out during the conversation when you're trying to uh, gather this information that they're not too pleased, and perhaps that's an opportunity for you uh, to go in and create a proposal for how you can solve that issue.
1: Mm Mm-hmm most definitely. And sometimes you need some time, right? Like, you know, that it's not going to just be so instantaneously when you're getting all this information, you need to synthesize that. So giving yourself that time to be able to, you know, getting a whole new piece of information, uh, prioritizing, you know, again, which, what of all the stuff that's going on with our client's world, what, what is the most compelling do you think for me to solve? What do you think is going to be the largest stick factor? If, If I can make this right for client, what would that do to my relationship with them at large, right? Um, Just a little bit of a different way of of thinking, um, you know, versus just being that prescriptive process that we always usually have uh, that's so easy to fall into.
0: I'm in complete agreement with you there. So if we go on the firm side, because that's the other side of this coin is the firm. From your explanation earlier, it sounded almost like firms need to think about the individuals that are involved uh, in HCD, right? So usually you may have a couple of folks from head office um, who are involved in, in the planning and designing portion, but it sounded to me from your explanation that perhaps that um, group should be expanded to include individuals from various departments um, and you can have you know, the design team or the UX teams also obviously uh, gather client feedback as well to make sure that the end solution is something that the client is looking for. It's, uh, it's compatible in the current environment. Uh, it's going to provide the experience that they're looking to have. But on the onset, at least in that room, when these discussions are happening, it seems like there should be a diverse set of people. Would you agree with that? And who should some of those people be from your perspective?
1: Yeah, I think that the more diverse thinkers you have, the more innovative solutions you come up with. So, I, you know, at first it can't just be, you have to identify the pace of this all, right? It's not like we get ideation sessions on day one. We have to have some level of strategic alignment. We need to understand the firm's goals. What are their business goals? What are they hoping to achieve? And oftentimes that doesn't happen as well in big corporations. And that's why sometimes design thinking, human centered gets a bad rap because they do this great process, but it's not aligned to a concrete business goal There's no ROI or business case attached to it. It's just doing it for the sake of doing it. And that doesn't really have, you know, a lot of legs or muscle uh, for it to go to implementation in a big corporation. So the first step is really understanding what are those strategic business goals. Once you do that, you want to find out how are we going to go to this direction? What are we going to do? This is where, you know, human centric design can really, really play a great uh, opportunity where we can think about. Who is it that we're hoping to serve Uh, again? And this could be from an employee perspective, that is a human. It could be from a customer perspective. It could be from a partnership perspective. You can identify the segment that you think is gonna be most critical to get to that strategic goal and get the folks that are closest to that user base as possible. Uh, this is where strategic partnerships comes up a lot. You see a lot of creative new relationships with these kind of traditional organizations. Again, partnering maybe with academia and partnering with maybe a startups, partnering with different user groups um, to help, you know, identify uh, the key challenges they want to solve for these, this, this, these groups, as well as the beauty and creativity around you know i call the designing experience but that's really ideation right that's brainstorming ideation creating a wide net of different perspectives and then you know hopefully prioritizing and creating back to business case and business concept before implementation so completely agreed there's going to have to be you know um individuals we tap into a little sooner than we're used to it's not a change management play where we are you know strategists are creating these solutions in a closed boardroom and then when it's ready for launch they showcase it to the organization and say okay adopt this change it is not that at all it's a very different process that allows different thinkers to be part of the actual solutioning and the implementation
0: that sounds right to me (laughs) Uh, it sounds very logical It, it makes sense to me so you know i guess if we are um talking about the firm um, and kind of where design comes from and new ideas, um, we should touch on innovation labs. Um, Because innovation labs have been around for decades. They're they're not a new thing. But I'll say from my perspective um, and from people that I know in the industry, at least when I was in wealth management, you know, we would hear about innovation labs, the most uh, famous ones, um, being at some of the big banks, um, but it almost felt like they weren't really for wealth management. We felt like we weren't really seeing the value from innovation labs. I think that's changing now. Um, and it's very possible that those innovation labs were working for wealth management, but perhaps they were working on solutions uh, for you know, for the back office or the mid office to help um, improve efficiencies and processes so that uh, the frontline being the advisors and the associates um, and assistants can actually get things done more quickly and service their clients better. But um, I would say the frontline didn't always, you know, it it wasn't transparent to them. So they didn't really see the value because they're like, I can't see it. It's not tangible to me. I don't know what's happening. It's all in the background. Again, I feel that's changing, but when it when it comes to innovation labs, like what are some of the big changes that you're seeing? I guess, what are some of the leaps that some of these labs are taking to create a better uh, experience for their advisor force and for the frontline in general?
1: It's so interesting, you know, being at innovation labs now for close to seven to eight years, just seeing it uh, transcribe. It, it's so funny when people talk about the value of what the innovation lab does, and it all depends on again what is the purpose um, f- for the innovation lab. And one thing that I've seen actually much better over the years is just simple people communication. <laughs> So, you know, it's usually a black box and the employees have no idea. Advisors have no idea what's going on there. They think it's very pie in the sky. They, You're right. They don't see any value to it. So they kind of write it off as fluff. Um, Having a strong communication plan to identify to the employees as to what is this innovation lab trying to proceed and not have such a black box (laughs) image to it, uh, I think works a long way. The transparency um, and the open door type of policy from an innovation lab perspective has gotten a lot better in organizations and identifying, again, what stake in the ground does this innovation lab really hope to play? you know, if you go across, we talked about horizons, you know, horizon one technology is things that a lot of employees will get behind, they understand it, it's horizon one, it's stuff they see with other organizations, it's operational, it's in the market. And you know, a lot of times the companies are just trying to catch up to horizon one tech. If it's horizon two, there's a little bit more ambiguity attached to it, right? You see it maybe in proof of concepts, you see it you know, early adopters and innovative companies that are bringing this to market. It's not as apparent, not as relevant. Um, But, you know, Innovation Lab could be focusing on that. And if if Innovation Lab is focusing on Horizon 3, which is even a higher level of ambiguity, and they're just trying to sort out what the use cases are for this, you know, new technology that hasn't even really been mainstream yet, it's going to be hard for employees to really understand what that is. However, a really strong comms plan to say, what is the value of actually testing in each of those horizons? And what is the value back to the advisor? Because it will, you know, hopefully come back to them. I just think that transparency is important. And another thing as well, which is changing, is that there's no distinction anymore. The stronger the innovation lab would include the advisors, right? The advisors would be part of that process, especially if it's horizon one and horizon two technology. You need the voice of the customer um, if you're creating use cases. And understanding that in a large corporation, things might actually just collect dust in the innovation lab. They might not even see the light of day from a market perspective, but there's still value in that. Because if that technology does have a hockey stick effect and overnight it feels like everybody is using it, at least that or, or innovation lab has a little bit of a know-how in terms of what that technology is. They're sitting on four or five use cases that they can go and implement versus trying to figure out how to react to this ambiguous tech that's just coming to them. So I think that the purpose and strategy of innovation lab sometimes get a bad rep. It's just that people think it's you know it's just for PR, it's just for marketing, but it doesn't really increase profit today, which could be very true. Um but if there's kind of more of the value and KPIs that are spread and celebrated across the organization, that helps. And then again, getting the advisors involved. <laughs> if there are wealth management innovation labs out there, like the advisors definitely need to be centered to express the voice of customer. Um, I think those are the kind of um, barriers we're seeing that are going away right now, um, where maybe 10 years ago, it was a little bit more separated and siloed.
0: I completely agree with you. I think to your earlier point about communication, I think that is the main issue, is that the front line um, does not know what's going on. It is in that black box. They're not aware of it. Uh, they just hear about it and they kind of, you know, roll their eyes. They're like, OK, fine, whatever, because to them, they never see any result, right? Like they don't ever see anything come out of the lab for them. And so it's just something that's there and they're like, okay, fine, whatever. Um, but again, I think that's changing. Um There's more innovation um, being presented to advisors. There's more technology coming out um, and they're starting to see the benefit of it. And I think on the point of profit, at least for the advisory teams, I think it goes a bit beyond just profit and more towards, you know, I have all these things on my plate and I just need something to help make my life easier, right? Like I have a million things that I'm chasing. I have, you know, a hundred tasks that need to be done uh, within an hour. (laughs) And I'm exaggerating a bit there, obviously, but, you know, just the idea that there's so much happening there and they just want technology That will work for them that will help them they'll make things easier for them um and uh, like i said i think it's changing and they're finally starting to see that um you know some of these labs are working for them and they are working on new technologies and processes that can improve and make their lives easier
1: Mm -hmm. oh my goodness i'm really happy you're mentioning that because i think what i'm hopeful for and what i'm seeing you know, as uh, a little new uptick of HCD, uh, specifically in wealth management, is when the firm is actually trying to solve the problems for the advisors through human-centric design. Um, When they're trying to serve their employees and the advisors specifically to get them more, uh, giving them the opportunity, the tools, you know, to create more efficient and effective routines in their day, they don't feel so inundated. Um, And especially because of the future of work. Like right now, we're all staring at whatever this hybrid new, model of work will look like what a time to actually um, for the firms to invest in human centric design, work with advisors and create new, working environments um, that will enable, you know, stronger customer relationships, happier advisors. And even from a retention perspective, when you look at a lot of the talent plays that are happening right now, it's very interesting to observe the competition that's happening from a talent side. Um, So from a firm perspective, if I were to actually, you know, really highlight or recommend one area in which human centric design can be applied is around, you know, the hybrid work model and trying to keep the advisors Um, introducing new ways of working. So it's just simpler, faster and better for them.
0: That's really interesting. And let's expand that on a bit. So we're seeing what they're calling the great uh, resignation right now, people are resigning, or I guess you call it the great reshuffle, because they're going from one place to another. Um, So how can firms, you know, leverage HCD to uh, kind of differentiate themselves and put them in the forefront of being a leader in a certain industry or being a great employer and saying, hey, you know what, that's the firm that everyone needs to go to because they're doing all these really cool things. They're putting employees at the forefront. Uh, There's all these great benefits Um, because I think it's important to remember that, you know, we talk about employees and employers and advisors and associates, but they're all people right? And um, we're all people with lives, um, and, you know, we're we're all trying to balance work-life balance um, as well as we can, uh, and it can be difficult at times. So, you know, I think firms are finally starting to move towards that area of financial wellness and really putting um, their employees in the center and realizing that, you know, it goes beyond uh, just uh, their life at work, and it's their life outside of work as well. So, I'm wondering how can HCD uh, be leveraged to help advise—not uh, advisor, sorry—to help firms differentiate themselves and to essentially just become better employers to attract and retain talent.
1: Well, you know, I ask the kind of same question of how can HCD not be applied when we're trying to create uh, better offerings. And solutions for our employees, our humans that work for us, right? So, you know, I think that it's such, you know, it almost is a mandatory, I'd say, for when we're creating new policies, procedures to make the lives of our employees better, to do so with empathy and to do so with defining the right compelling challenges to uh, design those right experiences. And of course, to evaluate, this is not like a waterfall effect that you can just launch out. We're all changing um, due to this pandemic, right? We, Our needs, our behaviors, It's fluid. It's not linear by any means. So the HCD process just seems like a complete fit for solving this. And I really strongly believe the employers that do uh, invest in this wisely will be the ones that create those innovative solutions that make the employers that are not with them raise their eyebrows and say, wow, did you hear what this company or bank or financial institution is doing? So... I think that it's going to be a very interesting time uh, for employers to to think about not just employee experience anymore, but I think you captured it really well, Love Nut. Employee wellness, right? It's employee, um, you know, ensuring that things like mental health are a, a strong priority and giving them the resources and support they need to manage, you know, whatever what work life balance looks like, so dramatically differently for everybody, but to respect that and to manage it accordingly. Um, it's a very interesting time. I just am reading all of it right now, <laughs> nerding out on this stuff. Um, but to to really apply uh, human centered design, design thinking when you're thinking of employee wellness and new ways of working, um, I, you know, I think you're going to see a lot more organizations um, adopt this uh, than than they may have maybe five six years ago.
0: I don't think we're going to get too many disagreements on that. Um, I feel that we're definitely in in an era where uh, employee wellness um, is being put in the forefront as it rightly should be um, because, you know, people matter. And um, I I think it's great that it's being recognized and things like uh, mental wellness are being pushed to the forefront. Uh, Everyone's talking about it. Um, There's a lot more help being offered. Um, I think those are all very positive changes. Um so there's one more thing that I wanted to ask you about. Um and I think it does it does fit in with, with the pandemic and H C D and that's really, you know, we're in this new frontier post pandemic. It doesn't completely feel like it's post pandemic just yet, but we're call it, it is kind of post pandemic. But how can H C D be leveraged to accelerate innovation at a time like this?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a great question. And I think that's really what we hope for. Like when you hear digital innovation, you know, those things are all great. But if you're not doing so in an accelerated fashion, in a big company, it there's no point, right? If you can't eventually see the value of what you're doing, if you're not seeing results from it, how does it really accelerate the fashion? And I think that you know, this is going to be for the folks who are in innovation. This is very cliche and you hear it all the time for folks that are a bit more conservative with more, you know, the straightforward type of court policies that don't apply innovation. But HTD allows you to showcase what you're doing wrong so quickly. Um, it's it's like a mirror, really, because you're applying these new Um, ideas and solutions to a a target group that you're serving and very quickly you're going to realize if you're on point or off point. So understanding those failures really, really quickly uh, in a very safe proof way because you haven't really invested a lot when you're doing something so iteratively is an accelerator on its own versus trying to build something again in these kind of virtual boardrooms that don't really have any exposure or validation to the end user, uh, working on a two-year roadmap, commercializing that six months in to find it's a colossal failure. Um, think about the speed in which you, to change that at that point is just so, so slow versus human-centric design, very similar to what we end here in a lot of iterative development processes from anything from a product mindset of agile or just being more product-centric, is that you get to learn quicker, you get to fail quicker, and you get to iterate quicker. And I'd say like that might be a little bit of a corporate pitfall sometimes is that we don't have the autonomy to fail. Uh, but doing so in these set environments where you have your parameters, you have your guardrails is very important. And that, I think, enables the acceleration qu- quite a bit.
0: Let's quickly touch on those pitfalls, because I-, I think that's important. That's an important topic. Um I've greatly enjoyed this chat and I can go on for hours, but um, we'll, wrap, we'll wrap up soon. But I do want to talk about what are some of the common pitfalls and how can corporations or even um, just advisors or anyone who's looking to, uh, you know, employ HCD, what should they be on the lookout for and how can they address?
1: For sure. Yeah. And I think that, you know, seeing this actually in a startup environment, seeing this actually now years within the corporation environment, uh, definitely some pitfalls to be mindful of. So at first, when we talk about understanding and empathizing, that just sounds great. That's like innately beautiful for us as humans to do that. Right. Um, But I do think here it is really important for us to be able to ensure that as we empathize or understand a user group, number one, make sure it's strategically aligned To the leadership of your department you have you know the the vps evps they have to really care about this segment group in order for you to innovate around it (laughs) you might think there's a body or a group of people that's just like you know we got to sell for it but make sure you have strategic alignment within your organization when you're empathizing or you're understanding a group of people When you're defining your challenge, um, you know, make sure you also are trying to define what is the scope that's going to be involved to solve this challenge? What resources do I need um, to actually solve the problem? Because we also often do the side of desk, right? Um, So what are the resources? What's the leadership support I'm going to need to solve the problem? Not only defining the customer or user problem, but defining the scope that's involved in the organization. When you're uh, ideating, you know, I love ideation and it's really hard for us to get creative and think and diverge in thinking because we're so used to short-term profit model we don't allow ourselves to think big we don't allow ourselves to ideate to defy gravity they think it's a waste of time but with human-centric design ideating and creating that uh you know environment where you can think big and outside the box doesn't mean you're going to apply those big radical ideas it means at least you've allowed yourself to just do that for a time being Then you can converge the nuggets of the success of the big creativity. You can take the elements, the integrity of what you were hoping to achieve with those big, bold ideas, and then try to apply some realistic frames to it. But allow yourself to go there. Allow yourself to ideate and be creative with it. Um, And use data. Like definitely, we always think of ideation with post-its and a lot of people talking in a room. But the amount of data we can use to help prioritize the right idea is really important. Um, And then when you test uh, and you're prototyping and you're learning and you're actually realizing there's something that's sticking, a really strong business case and a business plan is (laughs) very important. Uh, Because if you don't really have that, again, this is where it often just gets sticks in a lab and people love it, but they don't know how to commercialize it. There's no path to scale. There's no path to commercialization. So strategically aligning, um, ensuring that you're using data, uh, you know, defining um, the scope of of work that it's going to take and creating a business plan, I think are all complementary um and, and and ensure that again it gives the hcd process a bit more muscle within big companies
0: that was great um, i think a lot of people will find that very useful uh, when they go on their hcd journey and they might already be on it but they just don't aren't calling it hcd right uh, they aren't aware what uh what to name it so or what to call it sorry this was a great Chad, i really enjoyed it thank you nitty uh before we wrap up uh was there anything that you wanted to add or a topic that you wanted to cover that we didn't get to
1: no, I think we covered it all. Like, again, I think what gets me most excited is about how firms are going to, uh, you know, really think about how they introduce new ways of working for their employees, specifically the advisors who have so much going on. Um, they're so focused on, you know, serving the customers as well as everything else. I think it's going to be a really interesting time to, to watch uh, how employers are able to to best serve the advisors uh, in this kind of new hybrid work model that we're approaching. So thank you for letting me kind of, you know, geek out and talk about these things. <laughs> Love the conversation, uh, Lubna and uh, you know, uh, very excited to just again see what's next on the frontier for HCD as we get through, you know, these times of the later phases of the pandemic.
0: Definitely. Thank you for being here. I, again, greatly enjoy this chat. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, learned, uh, new, a new, new idea, new concepts, uh, new things for them to try. I know I certainly did. Uh, so it was, it was perfect.